I think the upside to having a business partner, and that's what I've learned with Sesh, is that I had someone to lean on and she had someone to lean on. And it's so funny. We always say we're each other's yin and yang because when one of us was like, I can't go on, the other one was like, we can do it. Maggie Segrick is a jewelry designer turned co-founder of Sesh, a co-working space that provides an atmosphere for women and genderqueer people to feel heard, valued, and seen. When Maggie relocated to Houston from New York City, she was looking for the same type of community for entrepreneurs that she had built for herself in New York. In her search, she met her co-founder, Meredith Wheeler, and together they built Sesh into the amazing space that it is today. Tune in to hear the power in building a community and safe space as an entrepreneurista. Coming up, Maggie shares her unconventional journey to entrepreneurship. She shares where the idea for Sesh was born and how they pivoted during the pandemic. And finally, you'll hear Maggie's tips on how to pick the right co-founder. This is the Entrepreneurista Podcast, presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done. And what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram. With no filters. No limits. And plenty of surprises. Maggie, I am so excited to have this conversation with you today. Before I dive in and ask you all of my burning questions, I want to share with our listeners how we met. So Maggie and I were actually introduced by one of our incredible entrepreneurista advisors, Alyssa Arnold. She had connected us a couple of months ago, and it took us a bit to connect because you were so busy with the the launch of Sesh, your, your new business. And we finally connected and realized, oh my goodness, we could have an incredible partnership together. And I'm so excited to hear all about your learning lessons from starting and now growing your business. So thank you so much, Maggie, for spending time with me this afternoon. Thank you. And I'm sorry it took us so long. We were very busy getting open and I appreciate being here. Oh my goodness, of course. We know, we all know, uh, all of our listeners, we're all growing businesses and time is our most valuable asset and there's not enough hours in the day for sure. So as soon as someone uh, comes up with a business idea to invent more hours in the day, definitely ping us and and let us know because we all need it, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But I kind of want them to be like hidden hours that I only know about, you know, Ah. so I can use them and not necessarily book things with other people, so... That's I, I like that idea. That's a very good idea. Well, I would love to go back to your early days, Maggie. Did you always know growing up that you wanted to start your own business? No, I had no idea that starting my own business was even an option for me. I grew up in the Midwest. And when I started thinking about college, I started thinking about an art degree And the response that I got was, well, what are you going to do with that? And I was like, huh. And I got to thinking about it. And no one that I knew did anything remotely creative or Mm. with art. And I was like, well, I like to read. So I guess I'll get an English degree and be a teacher. And um, 
that's what I did. And I graduated and tried to become a teacher and it was not for me at all. Fast forward several years, I'm in New York working in finance and I was like, I'm going to go back to school. And I quit my job in finance and went back to school for jewelry design at FIT in New York City and started working for, you know, Tory Burch, Alexis Batar, and kind of somewhere along the way started having my own paying clients making stuff. And I was like, I think I can do this as like my thing. Like, and so that's what I did. And it kind of snowballed from there. I was doing jewelry and then uh, my stepfather passed away suddenly. He was 51 and my sister was 13 at home on the farm in Illinois. And uh, I had to stop what I was doing and manage the family farm. And I did that for four years on top of jewelry. And what year was this, Maggie? 2011. So it was just a... the recession was still fresh in the housing bubble mm-hmm. and everything like that. It was still so fresh that my mom ended up losing her job about three three months after my stepdad died. Had to move out of the family home, and I brought them to Brooklyn. She started working for my husband. She eventually got back up on her feet, moved upstate. It's a happy ending, but in doing kind of the jewelry and the creative and then having to manage this farm, which was something I never even like thought about doing. I was like, I kind of like this. This is this like entrepreneur business thing is kind of my jam. So I started a chamber of commerce (laughs) Um, in Westchester County and it grew. And eventually it grew from like just one little village of Dobbs Ferry into the Rivertown's chamber and it encompassed four or five villages. And then my husband got a job in Houston. And so I left all of that behind and moved to Houston uh, four and a half years ago. And now I run a co-working space. So all right. I have a few questions and a couple of things to unpack. And I just want to kind of hear the thought process behind some of these decisions that you are making. And I feel like, you know, I hear a lot of the members of our Entrepreneurial League community, you know, many of them have just started a business. They just left their full-time job during, you know, the past two years during the pandemic to start a business. And you you just shared the story of how you were working for a lot of these, you know, big name designers and then realized like, oh, wait, I could do this. I, I could start my own business. How long were you working for some of these companies before you realized like, wait, I can actually start my own jewelry business. And you just, did you quit your job to start? Did, were you doing it on the side? Like, how did you, what were those decisions like? Yeah. So for whatever reason, right when I applied to FIT, I got an LLC because my husband was like, if you're going to go to jewelry school, you're going to make your own jewelry. You need a business. You need an LLC. You need to protect yourself. And I was like, okay, okay, whatever. And so since 2009, I had had my LLC. I worked under probably Alexis Batar and Tori Birch for a couple of years. And then my boss from Tori Birch, he left. I was like, wait, take me with you. I don't want to be here without you. And so I apprenticed under him for an additional three years. 
And in that time, I was kind of on the side, still doing my jewelry. And then kind of, I'm trying to think of the years. So my my daughter was born in 2013. So it would have been probably at the end of 2013 where I really went full time into my own business. And I don't know, I feel like it was probably a culmination of a lot of things, right? Like one, I felt ready just business-wise. I helped my old boss do his taxes. I helped him do the photography. And in that, I learned how to like Photoshop the photos. And so I felt like kind of like all of the skill sets that I needed to do the social media, to manage the website. I felt I felt like I had gotten to the point where I could do it myself, but also the fact that now I had this little tiny human and I wanted to be with her all the time. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I, I get wanted, that. Yeah. So I think it was a culmination of those two things of like, I wanted both options, you know. What were some of the learning lessons that you had building your jewelry business that now you've been able to apply to now starting Sesh? And of course, tell everyone what Sesh is. Yeah. So Sesh is Houston's first female-centered workspace that is a safe and inclusive community. So we are strong allies for the LGBTQ plus community as well as the BIPOC community. And we have everything from co-working to there's a pop-up shop that I'm that's like right across the hall from me it's where my sweatshirt came from we have art galleries there's doctors here like it's an amazing community and it truly represents the diversity that is Houston with the jewelry business I started off in the early days of a certain platform and they did not have the tax feature automatic and you had to go in for every transaction and like add it, which was a pain at the time for where I lived because it in the New York area, specific to Manhattan, Connecticut, New Jersey are all very close by. So trying to know what the sales tax is for each and every client who makes a purchase online and then change it, I was like, so really finding the right platform to put my business on transitioned from my jewelry business into sesh because we had dual websites for a while and now we are finally just on one and we are very happy with this platform and now we're at a point where we've grown and we've outgrown our own skill set. And we've had to delegate that to someone who's an expert at it and they're amazing at it. And that's a nice, a nice growth to have. Yes. I like to call those good business problems, right? Yes, exactly. Growing so quickly, you need to bring in those other resources, which actually leads me to another question. You know, how do you go about finding the right vendors or contractors? Is there a certain process that you use to find the right people for your business? We rely very heavily on our local chamber of commerce. We are very active with the Greater Houston LGBT Chamber of Commerce. They actually have an office here now. 
more also active with the Greater Houston Black Chamber of Commerce. And if there's a service or a provider that we need, we go right to their directory and we look for it, which is what makes, you know, whether that's the Chamber's directory or Entreprenista's directory or even Sesh Coworking's own directory so important is it's kind of a a stamp of approval, right, in the sense of like these are businesses and other founders who are aligned with our mission Mm -hmm. and our beliefs. And so it's a starting point, right? And it's a good starting point for us. Yes. Doing business with people that are in your community that you can trust and us all being able to pass business to each other and help each other grow. There's definitely nothing better. So love that advice and glad you mentioned that. Maggie, I would love to hear about how the idea for Sesh came to be. And I know it must have been an enormous undertaking to build out a co-working space, figure out how to, you know, get the capital for the business and what it was going to cost. And we'll definitely chat more about that too. But what was the initial idea to to start Sesh and when did that come to be? So... Sesh actually started with my business partner, Meredith Wheeler, in 2017. She was kind of searching. She knew she wanted to start a business and she was, she had all these different ideas and she was like, gosh, I just can't find people like me to help me figure out what it is that I want to do. And that was kind of her aha moment of like, oh, that's the idea. I need to find people like me and then provide a place for those people like me. So she started off very simply hosting a meetup and she was probably doing that for about a year. And that's when I moved from New York to Houston and I brought my jewelry company with me in New York. I could have my jewelry studio in my house because New Yorkers walk places and they go to other people's homes, especially if the front of the house looks like a shop. In Houston, that is not the case. Everybody (laughs) drives their car everywhere and to go to somebody's house is weird, right? So I knew I had to find space. And because I was the founder of a chamber of commerce and the president and community building was my job. I needed a community now because I needed resources and I needed connections. Like I needed, and it was like sometimes the simple things like which grocery store is better, you know? And I learned about HEB and then I learned about Central Market here. But I learned about those things because I saw Meredith's meetup and I went and I experienced the community building that she was doing and it resonated with me and she kept talking about a brick and mortar. And I guess I kept talking about it to my husband. And finally, my husband was just like, would you just just go tell her you want to be her business partner? And I was like, but what if she says no? And he was like, well, she's not going to say no. She's go talk to her. So I invited her to lunch one day and she was that day, she was having a a rough day. She was like really struggling. And she shared with me at lunch. She was like, I was on my couch crying before this lunch. She was like, because I feel so overwhelmed and don't know. She's like, there's so many things I want to do, but I don't know which one to pick. 
and I don't know if it's the right move for the community. And I was like, well, yeah, that's kind of what I'm here to talk about. I was like, I want to help you. And her response was literally, oh, that's cute. <laughs> I was like, um, okay, I think I need to use better words. I was like, I want to be your business partner. And she was like, oh, oh. And I was like, yeah. And, you proposed uh, a business partnership. <laughs> yeah. I, it's funny because we joke that we got business married because here in yeah. Houston, the DBA office where we went to change our name because we were previously Girl Sesh and we wanted to switch it to Sesh Coworking now with our partnership. And the DBA office is literally where you go to get your marriage certificates. And they have this like banner (laughs) on the wall that says like, just married. So we took a picture under it and there's a picture of us like just married. And so we continued, you know, the meetups and they got very popular, very large, very fast. And it was, we hit a point where we were like, okay, we need our own space. Right. And so this was 2019. Mm -hmm. We spent all of 2019 looking for space. Mid-year, thought we found the one, right? And we're down to like waiting for the landlord to hand over like the lease. And he's like, so I have a little bit of change of plans. I've been talking to this other co-working space and I think I'm going to partner with them and we're going to open a co-working space on the first floor and you guys can be on the second and third floor. And I was like, oh, that doesn't work for us. And we found out who the other um, co-working space was that he was talking to and we actually knew them. So we had a meeting with them. And the next meeting, we all showed up together on one side of the table and the landlord on the other side of the table and was like, here's our proposal. We're going to open a co-working space on all three floors. And he was like, "Mm, that doesn't work for me. And we were like, that's fine. Thank you. Goodbye. (laughs) Good for you. Yeah. It was five months of negotiating with this guy. And it really made us think and kind of turn inward Mm -hmm. about what it was we wanted. And we were like, okay, that space was huge. It was, I want to say it was like 27,000 square feet. We were like, let's completely pivot. Let's go small and make it a little bit more like quaint and and just see what happens, right? And so we started looking at completely different spaces and we found a 2,000 square foot space and we signed that lease in um, December of 2019. Spent the next month, you know, doing a little bit of touch-up. We opened February 3rd of 2020 and um, six weeks later, we closed. (laughs) It was hard. What a story. And yes, we're going to unpack all of that in just a moment. Up next, Maggie shares how she handled the pandemic with an in-person business model. All right, Maggie, I feel like even in my perspective too, thinking about March of 2020 still personally brings me so much trauma, just like those few weeks in March and everything changing and the panic, like 
personally and also in business. And here you are now having spent, what, a year plus planning the opening of your business. And now you have to shut down this brand new business. Tell me about, you know, what you went through, your emotions, how you handled things. And how did you pivot during that time? You're a brand new business that just opened. Yeah, it was, I think at first we were in denial. It happened, at least here in Houston, right when all the schools were going on spring break. So I think everyone Mm -hmm. thought, oh, we'll get through spring break. It'll be fine. And then we got through spring break and that wasn't the case. And that's when it kind of started to get even scarier for, I think, myself and my business partner because Mm -hmm. virtual school picked up. And I live in a very tiny house (laughs) and there's nowhere to go. So like if my daughter's doing virtual school, I'm like, I have to listen to it. I have to be there. I can't be on another phone call and like conflicting with her. So trying to, you know, figure out, okay, well, who do I need to talk to, to figure out how to save the business? And that's, I, I really leaned at that time on the LGBT chamber because I felt they had the resources. So our lease, for example, had a clause in it that said if we vacated the premise for more than 14 days, they could change our locks and essentially like evict us um, from the space. And so I immediately called the chamber once I figured out that that was in the lease and asked if they had a broker or a real estate attorney or someone that would just read the lease and tell me, tell me what I need to do. Tell me, tell me the exact words I need to say to my landlord because yes. I'm like, I got to fix this fast. And so they connected me with someone who walked me, like literally held my hand and walked me through it. And we got it sorted out Amazing. with the landlord, thankfully. And the landlord was as generous as he could be in terms of giving us rent relief. We got about two and a half months of rent relief from him. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it didn't make any difference because we weren't generating any revenue. And so all of that initial capital investment that Meredith and I had put in, we were just bleeding cash every day, Mm -hmm. you know, because the internet, like just all the things, Everything. you know, yeah, that goes it's into- It's expensive to run a business and a space. <laughs> yeah, a brick and mortar space, you know. And so we figured it out and whether it was a good thing or a bad thing, Texas reopened before the rest of the nation. And mm-hmm. we waited. I think Texas reopened in May. And we decided, okay, we're going to go in mid-May, take all the plants back to the space because we had taken them all home with us so they wouldn't die. Yeah, yeah. It needs to be cleaned. It's set empty for two and a half months and just get it ready and kind of figure out like, what are we going to say to people when we reopen? Because there's probably all of our target audience that we had previously built up wasn't going to agree with our reopening. And so we knew we were going to lose a lot of people 
we knew we were gonna scare people away. And, um, but we knew if we didn't do it, we wouldn't ever have the chance. And that if we have to pay the bills to keep the lights on and the internet going and the space available, then we should at least be there using it. So we reopened at the beginning of June and nobody came. (laughs) Nobody. It was Meredith and I for weeks. And I got to the point where it was just like us on Twitter, reading the shocking headlines from all the protests happening in all the cities across the world and George Floyd's murder. And we were just like in shock, actual shock. I was just like, what can we do? Like, what can we do? How do we, how do we make an impact from right here in this little 2000 square foot loft? And so we made the decision to open our doors complimentary to any nonprofit fighting social Mm. injustice and that it didn't matter what the social injustice was. You were welcome in our space, complimentary to fight the fight. And they came in (laughs) and we had people and the space had, and when I say we had people, we had like maybe three or five people depending on the day, you know, but then the space had an energy Mm -hmm. and it had a vibe and we were like, oh my gosh, we could take pictures of these people in the space <laughs> and put it on the World Wide Web, you know? And so in doing that, it told the other people, like, hey, you can come here too. See, there's people it's okay. here. It's yeah. okay. And we did all of this wearing masks. Everything was socially distanced. Everything we we disinfected. After everybody, like if somebody sat at a desk for three hours, we we disinfected the desk afterwards. You know, we we tried to do it as safe as we possibly could. We took temperatures and we had the little... Um, you did all the things. <laughs> all the things, you know, and it snowballed from there on us. And it got to the point where we, Meredith and I, literally had nowhere to sit in the space. We couldn't even work from our own space on certain days because that's how many people were coming in. That's amazing. Now you have good business problems again. You're back to the good business problems. <laughs> were there moments during those few months when, you know, you and Meredith were just like, we should just call it quits and throw in the towel, like we can't do this? Or were you always just focused on like, we're going to get through this no matter what? Yeah, it was... I think the upside to having a business partner, and that's what I've learned with Sesh that I didn't learn with all my other businesses because I did those by myself, Mm -hmm. is that I had someone to lean on and she had someone to lean on. And it's so funny. We always say we're each other's yin and yang Mm -hmm. because it never fails. One of us is like riding high. We're like, woo! (laughs) And then the other one's like, oh my God, I'm so tired. And I think that's how we got through is because when one of us was like, I can't go on. The other one was like, we can do it. I can totally relate. I mean, with Courtney and I, we've been in business for over a decade now, and I cannot imagine, I could not have done any of these businesses without Courtney. And I know she she would say the same thing. Like there's just something about having your other half and being able to be there for each other, bounce ideas off of each other. And I feel like, especially my heart, you know, my heart goes out to solo founders who are like, you know, they feel alone. And that's why we started our entrepreneurship community, because 
we all need each other to be able to share those experiences and the ups and downs and, and highs and lows. Maggie, I would love to hear a bit more about your business partnership with Meredith. How have you been able to you know, divide out roles and responsibilities? Like, And do you have an operating agreement? How did you figure all these things out? Yeah, we have an operating agreement and based on what the SBA and, and several banks have told us, we have a very complicated corporate structure, but it's complicated and we made it that way because it protects us as mm-hmm. individuals, protects our families because we used a lot of our own capital to do this business and it was difficult and it's always difficult to have those conversations with the banks and places like the SBA about why it's so complicated, but it's there as a extra layer of protection. In terms of the operating agreement and roles, we didn't actually delineate roles for Meredith or for I, I, I do have the title of CFO and she does have the title of, I think it's CCO, chief community officer. I don't know. She's toying with that one. So, and I do do all the finances, but everything else is one of us can pick a write up where the other one left off. Like mm-hmm. if one of us has to run out and the other one can finish the email, you know, um, it's not, Oh, you only do this and I only do that. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's, I don't think Sesh would have made it if we were not like that. So, Yeah. Any learning lessons you can share for our entrepreneurs who are thinking about going into business with a partner? Having just full transparency. Like you're going to know everything about each other. You're going to know each other's bank account numbers. You're going to know each other's taxes every year. You're going to know their spouse's social security number. Like just be very ready for that because it is very much like a marriage in like, you know, each other's everything. But the other side to that also is you need to know each other's life goals, right? So that life goals and probably lifestyle expectations as well. So great example, when Meredith and I became business partners, she had two children and she always talked about wanting a third. And she and her husband decided in June of 2020 that now is the time. And I admittedly was, I was like, now? You know, I have one child and that's all that there's going to ever be because that's my choice, right? And I was like, oh, man, I mean, and of course she tells me this and then it's like two weeks later, she's like, so I told you that when I got pregnant, you would be the first person I would tell. And I was like, oh my God, are you telling me? She's like, yeah, I'm pregnant. And I was like... Oh, what are we going to do? Because we were in no place to like hire someone because it was July of 2020. 2020, yeah. <laughs> you know? And so we spent the next like seven months kind of laying out a maternity plan mm-hmm. 
for not just her, right, but for our business too. Mm -hmm. And like, what were the things that we could delegate together Mm -hmm. to another human and trust them? And we figured it out. Um, And we got, I want to say her baby was due mid-March, end of March. And because I kept telling her, we got to, we got to get this planned. We got to, we got to have a plan. Anything could happen, right? I was like, you could go early. And if we don't have someone hired, I'm up a creek. She had to have an emergency C-section and she went early. Yeah. It was almost a month early. So I was like, see, this is why we had the plan, you know? Plan. I always say always plan. And usually things don't go according to plan, but it's always great to have a plan. And I love that you just shared this story because it is so important if you go into business with someone that you need to be able to have these tough conversations and talk about these things and not judge each other and feel that you can really be open and be yourself because business is hard. It's amazing. Don't get me wrong. It is amazing. And, you know, we're not sharing all these stories, you know, to to scare anyone. It's almost just like, just know, just know what you're getting yourself into. And there's so many amazing moments. Like, look at what you're doing right now. You are helping all of these women have community and a space together and being able to connect. But look at all that that went into to building it. So it's amazing what you've done, Maggie. Thank you. Coming up. The art of pivoting when things don't go as planned. All right, Maggie, I have a few rapid fire questions for you. So the first word or words that come to your mind, are you ready? Yeah. Okay. How would your friends describe you in three words? Loyal. Honest. (laughs) And creative. Very important question. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Me too. Favorite app on your phone that you can't live without? Oh, Outlook. What is your favorite business tool that has really helped you grow your business? WordPress. What would someone who doesn't know you be surprised to find out about you? I have moved over 40 times. Wow. Wow. You know, I bet that prepared you for being an entrepreneurista. So lots of changes and things, unexpected things happening, right? Yeah, exactly. All right. Back to our, our regular questions here. What does your typical day look like for you now running this business? Do you have one? Sort of. There's an outline of how my day should look and but whether or not it actually ends up that way it's business and it's life and it's it's chaotic and you kind of just have to roll with the punches you know I do get up very early in the morning 4 45 get my workout in my shower take my daughter to school come to sesh do all the sesh things and then go back home and that's the loose structure right but in between all of that things could go awry or great. So we were actually just talking about this before we started recording because earlier this week, we actually, we did a entrepreneurista sash meetup event at, at sash. And speaking of things, just, you know, you never know when things can happen. You had a crazy day there. (laughs) Yeah. So we showed up and there was a bunch of center point trucks parked out in front of the building 
and they turned off our power at eight o'clock in the morning. (laughs) And so we had this lunch plan and we were like, well, we have great windows. We have sunlight. We're just going to focus everybody up here. I had come in a little later. So Meredith was able to like call me and be like, bring all the hot spots. So I brought some hot spots in with me, you know, iPads and such. And um, we turned on like all these LED candles we had in the bathroom so people could see if they went in there. We did it in the, um, the kitchen too. And we got out an actual radio and tuned into a radio station to have like noise just going on in the background because weirdly when there's no electricity it's very quiet yes it it was a little uncomfortable so we were like we let's just turn the radio on (laughs) when things happen like that and you're so looking forward to something and then something I don't want to say catastrophic with with the power going out not catastrophic but something you know unexpected happens do you as a leader like do you panic in those moments or do you automatically just go into problem solving mode and like it doesn't phase you it doesn't phase me. I go I go right into problem solving mode. I think I get that from my mom. My mom yeah. was a 911 dispatcher and oh, worked wow. for the state police for a long time. So I I think that rubbed off on me a little bit. Yeah. Calm under pressure, like, okay, this happened on to the next. That's how I am now. I think it's for me, it's just from running a business for so many years and just seeing things like up and down and like I feel like even sometimes when like these crazy things happen, like I laugh. I'm like, okay, let's figure it out on to the next thing. That seems normal now. Okay. Yeah, totally. Totally. And I know you had mentioned before you have a daughter. How old is she now? She's nine. Oh my goodness. Does she, does she have your entrepreneurial spirit? Does she want to start have her own business now too? Um, Yeah, it's funny. So we have uh, four dogs and she's really into animals as well. And so she created a little side business for herself called Paws at Sesh. And she's like, if people bring their dogs in, I can walk them and I can brush their hair and dog sit for them. And she like made herself a little like business cards and flyers. And I was like, she was like, can I leave these? And I was like, yes. I was like, I don't really know how this is going to be a viable business though, because you're at school all the time. So I don't know how you're going to make money, but I'm going to let you follow through with it. You know, after hours, after hours. (laughs) I love it. How do you balance motherhood, running a business? Are there certain, you know, tips or advice that you can share? I know my daughter is is only three now and it's definitely been a a learning curve for me trying to manage everything. So I'd personally love to hear from someone who has six more years of experience than I do. <laughs> yeah. So I think in two phases of like my entrepreneurial journey, I had like the jewelry in the chamber. I worked from home and my studio was in my home. And something I realized in that time was I have to set up clear boundaries, not just for myself, but for my daughter who's in the house as well, as well as my husband who's in the house. Like, this sounds crazy, but I put a lock on the inside of my jewelry studio door so I could lock myself in and lock them out because 
mom's just home all the time. So she must just always be available for everything. And I realized in doing that, it saved me so much time because being constantly interrupted and doing that task switching is very exhausting. The other thing I learned during that time was I took Facebook off my phone. Mm. I did it in New York because I was being trolled pretty hard from some locals who didn't like what I was doing with the chamber. And I realized having Facebook on my phone was just, I was giving them a free pass to access my time with every single notification that would pop up. And now I just get on Facebook on my laptop and I learning those boundaries then Mm -hmm. bled over into session. Now I can be very clear with other boundaries and it, it really saves yourself a lot of frustration Mm -hmm. and stress and you get some energy back. (laughs) Absolutely. Do you have a quote or mantra that you live your life by? Mm. I have so many. I think my perspective and outlook on life is the world is just a bunch of open doors and it's whether or not I walk through them and have that experience. And so for me, I'm, I'm always going to poke my head in an open door just to see what's on the other side. Cause like I might like it, you know? And so I like to experience a lot of things. And I think that's why I've become a serial entrepreneur. <laughs> you just gave you just gave me the chills. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. My final question for you, Maggie, what does being an entrepreneurista mean to you? Being an entrepreneurista, I think really goes back to the reason why I started the chamber and later on went on to start sesh is because I know I can't do it by myself. And I know that if I ask for help, someone will say yes. And I think that's a very empowering thing that we constantly need to remind everyone of, because there's a lot of us, whether we are white women or LGBT or from communities of color that are not given the opportunity. Mm -hmm. And, um, I just think it's about empowering others, you know. Maggie, thank you so much for sharing your journey and story. I know that our listeners are have already learned so much just from listening to all of your learning lessons. And I am so excited to continue our partnership with Sesh down in Houston. For our uh, listeners or members that are interested in joining the Sesh community in person in Houston, where can they go to find you, follow you, and join? Yeah, so... Sesh is located in Midtown, 2808 Caroline Street. You can head over to our website, which is very simply seshcoworking.com, as well as Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at seshcoworking. Thank you, Maggie. And we will definitely be linking out to all of those links in the show notes below. So if you are listening and you want to grab those links, click over right now in the show notes and head over to Sash to learn more. Maggie, thank you again for being here. I'm Stephanie, and this is the best business meeting I've ever had. Hey, thanks for listening and leaving us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. And we'd love to stay in touch with each of you. 
You can listen to all of our latest episodes at entreprenista.com and connect with us on Instagram at entreprenistas. We'd also love to invite you to join the Entreprenista League, our private membership community for trailblazing women. You can head over to entreprenista.com forward slash the league. We'll see you there. Wishing you a productive week ahead. Mm-hmm.